Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, ritual, and the occult. I am Kate Ballou. And I am Kristen Lizenby. Today, we'll be talking about one of our, and possibly all witches, favorite pastimes, divination. Yes, super excited for our chat today, but also curious. Was it hard for you to decide what you wanted to talk about today? I feel like so many of us practice tarot and douse with pendulums and have our own family traditions, so it can be a bit hard to narrow it down. You know, I really only had to pause for a moment. Like you, I've been a word witch my whole life, and it's truly how I access my own magic. Whenever I have the opportunity to encourage others to work with writing, I can't help myself. (laughs) That's how it should be. I think that I originally told you I was going to focus on dream divination today because anyone who knows me is well aware that I love dream talk, whether it be discussing astral realms or lucid dreaming or premonitions, I'm all about it. But the more I got to thinking about it, there's just so much to say about the dream world, and so I figure that topic might be best suited for its own episode. But even though I adore dream divination, I also feel a strong pull towards another practice called mirror gazing. I know that many of you out there probably have some experience, intentional or not, with mirror gazing. So if you do, please send us an email with your story. If not, I hope that I'm able to paint an accurate picture of mirror gazing and that just maybe it speaks to you. Right now, as the dark season gets underway and we're asked to go inward, many of us will turn towards divination as a key to unlock the hidden powers within the psyche, to fine-tune psychic abilities, and maybe, most likely, discover something new about ourselves in the process. The logistics of mirror gazing which I'll mention in just a moment, like most divinatory practices, are pretty straightforward. But try to think of mirror gazing as more than just checking yourself out in the mirror, because at its core, it's a form of visual meditation. And I stress visual, because I feel strongly that with practice and patience, if you mirror gaze, you will see something. It might be auras, a TV screen-like static with flickering images, or more commonly, a face other than yours, equal parts strange and familiar, looking right back at you. But before we get into the magical explanations for why people and mirrors work so well together, I just want to briefly explain what mirror gazing entails. But just so you know, it's exactly what it sounds like. And I think I was partly drawn to it for its simplicity. Wait, Kristen. 
focused and I honestly have never heard so much about this practice. So how did you first come to it and first hear about it? You know, well, like most things I've become interested in, I started seeing mirror gazing popping up in books that I was reading. Um, at the time, I was doing a lot of research on the relationship between out-of-body experiences and trance work, lucid dreaming. So it's not really a surprise that I kept coming across mirror gazing in these texts because these elements all share some really interesting ties. I'll try to note some of the books that mention mirror gazing and link them in our show notes if anyone is interested. But just off the top of my head, I think Awakening the Third Eye by Carl Sagan and Leaving the Body by Scott Rogo. Um, it's a really good place to start with those two. But even without reading any books, a super short explanation is that mirror gazing is a form of scrying. Instead of using a crystal ball, a seer's stone, or a giant brass cauldron of water like the ancient Greeks used to, the practitioner sits in a mostly darkened room, facing a mirror, and stares into their own eyes. It sounds way too simple, right? <laughs> but that simplicity <laughs> was one of the reasons I decided to give mirror gazing a try. And the more I learned and practiced it, the more I understood why people have used mirrors in spell work, both for good and bad, for a very long time. Also probably why there are so many superstitions around mirrors. We all know that breaking a mirror is supposed to curse us with seven years of bad luck, but have you ever heard that when a person passes away, a family member must cover all the mirrors in the deceased's house for several days? That way, the newly departed soul won't get trapped in this realm. This is completely new to me and also so beautiful. Do you know where this originated? You know, I'm not 100% sure where it originated because there are just so many stories, all with slightly different reasons as to why someone would cover their mirrors during mourning. In my research, I've come across Jewish, Germanic, and Creole traditions that all incorporate this practice into their death rituals. Not to mention that it was also popular in England during the Victorian era. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie Fried Green Tomatoes, Kate. I have. I have. <laughs> okay, you have. I don't know if you'll remember, but there's a scene after a death where somebody covers the mirror and stops the clock. And... As you, I'm sure, remember, this movie was made in the 90s, um, you know, and it's not a religious film at all. So it would seem that this practice is still really deeply ingrained in a lot of people's beliefs. And so I just find that pretty interesting. Wait, quick, quick thing. Have you yes. been watching The Haunting of Bly Manor at all on of Netflix? Of course, of course, yes. Okay, well, also in there, the mirror covering, and I thought it was so story-specific, I guess, until now, but the main character covering all of the mirrors after her fiancé passes. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. I honestly, I just finished watching that a little while ago, but now I kind of want to go back and rewatch it. But yeah, I, I definitely remember that he was essentially visiting her from the other side through the mirrors. Mm -hmm. I have a few episodes left, so don't spoil it. <laughs> okay. I, I won't spoil it. I won't say anything else about it. Perfect. But back to mirror gazing. Even if death is the furthest thing from your mind, 
sleeping in front of a mirror is considered quite dangerous as well. According to myths, entities from other dimensions can visit through the mirror and manipulate our reflection for as long as we're in dreamland. And then there's the most famous mirror superstition that scared me senseless as a child, Bloody Mary, who I'm sure many of us remember trying to invoke in front of a darkened bathroom mirror. Absolutely terrifying. It was definitely a rite of passage, I feel like, in middle school, so I have some vivid memories. Definitely. But I've read a lot of theories as to why mirror gazing is so successful when trying to contact the spirit world or just to see beyond this realm. And I think it has something to do with mirrors and eyes both being doorways or thresholds to the spirit world, alternate dimensions, or whatever terminology makes the most sense to view. Like a sort of liminal space. Yes, exactly. The more I learn about these liminal spaces, the more I realize how receptive this realm is to our desires. I truly believe that it's where magic takes place, or at the very least, where we plant the seeds. In the magic world, thresholds are a place where two worlds meet and sometimes overlap. So there's typically a lot of activity. Mirror gazing puts us right in the heart of all that activity. And so whether or not we are sensitive to energies, over time, we become an observer and part of both worlds. I will say that a lot of inner work is involved for mirror gazing to be successful. I know that for me, getting myself into a light trance state is imperative. This means breath work, <laughs> lots of breath work. Uh, I use different breathing patterns to amplify my personal energy and to quiet the voices always chatting away in my head. I also recommend that if you're like me and wear glasses or contacts, that you remove them from mirror gazing. With our vision slightly off, I believe that we have an advantage to mirror gazing, as it's easier for out-of-focus eyes to revert to a relaxed state, thereby forcing us to put more focus on inner sight or our third eye. It's so funny that you say this. I always feel more prone to my different sight when my contacts are out, but I couldn't tell if that was something that I was inventing in my head, so thank you. I feel validated. Uh, it's funny you say that because I have a theory that glasses are great to correct physical sight, but might have the reverse effect on our third eye, um, at least until it's fully opened. But as of right now, I have zero proof of that, so don't <laughs> quote me. I would love if anyone had any info on that to send. Yes, <laughs> let us know. So the picture I've painted of mirror gazing is very minimalistic, which makes it a ritual that you can practice pretty much anywhere. But if you're at home and have some time, it's nice to incorporate other elements into mirror gazing to heighten the experience. Lighting some candles, incense, or holding crystals like sodalite or amethyst all contribute their unique plant or elemental properties into this ritual. And if you're trying to contact a deceased relative or someone specific, I would suggest having one of their personal items nearby to help lead them to you, plus an offering in case they show. Like with most forms of divination, the logistics are fairly simple. It's truly up to us as practitioners to do the inner work, to not shy away from working in solitude, and to use our mirror-gazing experiences as a doorway to something greater. For many of us, it will be the creative process, whether that be art, innovation, humor, music, or writing. Which, speaking of writing, 
I'm going to hand it over to Kate in her area of expertise, intuitive writing. Thank you so much, Kristen. Um, I'm fascinated by this new divination tool that I can keep close, mere gazing and scrying. I love the idea of thresholds and what's liminal and what can happen in those spaces. In the same way that I love thresholds, I'm also so drawn to crossroads in my own work. What do you think the differences and the similarities are there? Wow, that's such a deep question. And honestly, the answer I give you today will probably be different from what I will tell you tomorrow or in a month's time. But I feel that deals are made at crossroads, uh, big life decisions. You know the quote, you're just one decision away from a completely different life? To me, that's big crossroads energy. Whereas thresholds, I see as where one place starts and another ends. It can be as simple as stepping past the first tree on your way to a forest or visiting a graveyard or even just walking into somebody's home. Uh, I actually just finished reading a book called Scottish Witchcraft, which I'll link in our show notes. But the author talks about the importance of introducing yourself and asking permission from the residing spirits every time you cross a threshold. I thought that was really beautiful. So even though I see crossroads and thresholds as carrying different, albeit similar, energies, I believe they are both liminal spaces, ones where the spirit world and the human world can interact with one another. And I also see them as places where we can meet guides goddesses, gatekeepers, and even our highest self. Thank you for that. I, I want to borrow that book. And I, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about the crossroads. I was thinking about, um, like in folklore, especially in American folklore and like blues music, these musicians coming to meet the devil in these spaces. Mm -hmm. My partner and I were talking about that over the weekend. And I was just like, Oh, I have to ask. <laughs> definitely. I definitely think of Crossroads as making a deal with the devil. I feel like that's what you hear, like you said, in music or kind of like the old stories. Yeah. And the triple goddess perhaps looking all the ways down the crossroads. I think that's kind of some yes. Hecate mythology. But um, Absolutely. Yeah. Though at first these junctures of the self may feel opaque, I think when we light the way guided by these forms of divination and our intuition, we are allowed new ways of practicing our craft and honing our skills and opening the heavy wooden door to the wild self. So speaking of liminal spaces, let's talk poetry. often channel is through writing, so I find that poetry is the best way for me to free up space in my brain and to connect more deeply to different messages and images, much like you were talking about getting rid of those voices that chatter on in your head. Yes, yes. So difficult to do. But when writing like this, what at first feels random often is not at all. As a good friend always tells me, all timing is divine timing. I define channeled or intuitive writing as a writing practice that allows the writer to just sort of follow the thread. And the thread is a way that I view my own intuition. 
by following the images and words as they leap out across the page. This has allowed me to connect more deeply with myself and my own magic. Like mirror gazing, getting into that trance-like state can be so helpful. Just allowing language to flow through you, even if it feels strange at first. Oftentimes, I sit down at my desk unsure that I'll be able to say anything at all, but it always comes. I think so much is just the initial commitment to the thing, like you were saying about doing the inner work as a practitioner. Once I quiet that voice, commit the time to channel and write, and sit down and really listen, the hard part has already been done. Then I dive off into working my way through mythic language, imagery, color, giving myself prompts, whatever feels fun. Starhawk talks about this misconception of magic needing to be serious, and I'm so in love with magic and ritual being playful and joyful and in some ways spontaneous. To open us to these messages, sometimes it is helpful to return to these childlike states of belief. It's important to listen and to find stillness, to find rhythm and to wait. I couldn't agree more. I think to create anything, we have to connect with the inner child, the part inside of us that doesn't care what others will think. Exactly, because, you know, you're making something out of nothing and it can be so intimidating sometimes. So Mm -hmm. giving yourself that permission to show up and be imperfect is essential. And also magic. Mm-hmm. Agreed. When I'm teaching a writing class, sometimes I suggest using a random word generator online and acquiring five random words. Then I'll encourage writers to build sentences off of these five words. Uh, it takes a level of openness to see that nothing is random and that so much creativity and magic can be made within those boundaries that we create. I often think about it as if I'm building an altar with my language. So have I brought all of the elements in in some way? What is my intention? What am I crafting and how is the language invoking or an incantation to that spell? If you're interested in intuitive writing and channeling, starting a journaling practice can be a really good way to access that. And Kristen, I know you'll love this, but one of my favorite journaling practices to recommend is a dream journal practice. Yes, dream journaling is my favorite. It's also such an easy way to start a daily writing practice, especially when you aren't quite sure what you want to write about yet. Exactly. And it can be so helpful to ask your guides to have the messages be communicated to you while you're asleep. Mm -hmm. So then when you keep a dream journal near your bed, before anything else, first thing in the morning, write down the images that you can immediately recall from your dreams. They may create a map or a message. I also think asking yourself questions and then answering them can be an interesting creative call and response try. Where is my shadow? When I look to the corner of the room, what do I see? Now, what's beyond it? How do I show my gratitude? What color is my laughter? So there is no wrong answer here. I give you permission. Go write and see what comes up for you. Send us your poems as spell work that you're channeling. We would love to see them. Yes, please. So Kate, before we finish up, 
you mentioned earlier that the most important thing for you is just sitting down and making the commitment to write. And I know that myself, along with probably every other writer out there, will align with that sentiment. But do you have any pre-writing rituals that you do that might help somebody who's just starting out? Um, Do you light a candle, pull a card, set an intention? I truly think it depends on my mood. (laughs) Some days I'm way easier to open that door to my writing self, and sometimes I have to make it a whole thing. Did I light a candle? Did I make tea? Is my space heater on? Which deck am I working with? Do I have a worry stone in my hand? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it just depends. And sometimes, too, I feel like I'm carrying words around inside of me. And so those words, depending on how pushy or bossy they are, <laughs> can take different levels of coaxing. But for somebody that's just starting out, I would say, you know, locating those those tools, like in any divination practice, can be so helpful. And like you suggested, Kristen, I think, I think a candle is my most favorite. Mm-hmm. Same here. But I also love what you said, how It depends on how long you've been carrying the words around inside of your head, because we all know that some days we give ourselves a checklist of things to complete before we allow ourselves to sit down and write. And then other days it just pours from us, whether we planned for it or not. Yeah. It's like a different level of like necessity sometimes or like depending on where that language is coming from to like where it's being channeled from and in what like tenor or vibration or texture too. Thank you so much for joining us for Magic and Alchemy today, the new podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy or at k8baloo. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram, at Tamed Wild, or on the blog, magicandalchemy.com. Join us next week for a special guest and a look into the magic of all things celestial. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So won't it be or something better. Until next time.